The story is told of a pastor of a small country church who, in an effort to uh, raise much-needed funds, asked his congregation for volunteers to go door-to-door in their community to sell approximately a 1,000 Bibles that had been donated to the church. He figured that at $10 apiece, they would raise a much-needed $10,000 rather quickly. So as as sure as he is asking for volunteers, Peter, Paul, and uh, Louie all raised their hands uh, for the task. And the pastor was somewhat encouraged as he knew that Peter and Paul earned their living as salesmen and were likely capable of selling the Bibles. But he was a little bit concerned and had some serious doubts about Louie. Because Louis was a local farmer who had always kept to himself. He was embarrassed by a serious speech impediment of stuttering when he got nervous. But he didn't want to discourage Louis and his willingness to help, so he took him up on his offer. So the pastor loaded a little over 300 Bibles in each of their cars, and off they went to sell the Bibles at $10 apiece. Following Sunday at church, Peter reported first to the pastor, and he had $1,000 for the 100 Bibles that he sold. Next, Paul handed the pastor $1,400 for the 140 Bibles he sold. And as you can imagine, they were all waiting to see what Louis accomplished, and Louis walked up with an envelope just stuffed full of money. And they started to count the money, and there was $3,200, and Louis sold all 320 Bibles that he had been given to sell. As you can imagine, everyone was stunned by this, and the two professional salesmen stood in silence until the pastor finally said something. He said, Louis, are, are you telling us that you sold all 320 Bibles for the church door-to-door in just a week? And Louis, embarrassed, just nodded his head, yes. That's impossible, Peter and Paul said in unison, they said, we're professional salesmen, yet you claim to have sold more Bibles than both of us combined. And at this point, the pastor jumped in and said, you know, Louis, it does sound a little bit strange, doesn't it? How did you do that? And so Louis kind of shrugged and said, well, I really don't know for sure. And Peter interrupted impatiently and said, For crying out loud, Louis, just tell us what you said to these people when they answered the door. And he said, All I said was, Would you like to buy this Bible for $10? Or would you like me to just stand here and read the entire thing to you for free? And I love that story because, you know, I've always been one of those guys who likes to just get to the point. It's like, you know, what's the bottom line? Get to the point. What are you trying to say? Just tell me. And uh, for all of you, and especially those who are uh, guests of ours today, you'll be happy to know my plan today is just to get right to the point. And uh, today is a Resurrection Sunday. It is a day where we celebrate the uh, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 24, where we're going to take a look at the text in verses 1 through 12, where Luke records for us the angel's statement, literally, he has been raised. Luke chapter 24, starting with verse 1, we read these words. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb 
bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found that the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened that while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling apparel. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words, and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James, also the other women with them, were telling these things to the apostles. And these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling at that which had happened. From Luke's eyewitness account of the life of Jesus of Nazareth, we're going to examine six things that relate to the resurrection of Jesus Christ as is found in this particular passage. But before we do that, I want to point out something very important towards our understanding of the text. You'll note in the New American Standard translation, we're told in verse 1 that the word but is there indicating a strong contrast. And what we're, what, 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 the reason that's so important is what we have before us is there is a st- strong contrast between what Luke has just told us in the preceding chapter and what we're about to read about in this next one. If you remember in the preceding chapter, we see nothing but agony and sorrow and misery. We see that the, uh, the apostles had run away from Jesus as they were arrested in the garden, that one of his own, very own, betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. We see the arrest that took place, the trials between Caiaphas and Herod as Jesus was bounced back and forth. We see Pilate trying in every way to get out of this mess that he was in by asking if they would release another one of the prisoners and the people said, no, give us Barabbas, but as far as Jesus is concerned, crucify him. We see him scourged, we see him whipped, we see him crowned with thorns, and we see him led, you know, to Golgotha or to Calvary where he would be crucified. We find him nailed to, to, the, to the cross, and the darkness overcomes the land from noon till three o'clock in the afternoon. There's a great earthquake, and as you can imagine, all his followers that are at a distance are watching all these things, and they have totally lost hope. Because they saw Jesus die. They heard him give up his spirit. They saw Joseph of Arimathea take down his body in Nicodemus and took it to this empty tomb, and they knew Jesus had died. And in strong contrast to what he has been sharing with us in this last chapter, we see that there is you know, a, a, a contrasting uh, attitude and, and atmosphere, and, and there's an energy that's here that's not found before. Instead of sorrow, there's going to be joy. Instead of despair, there's going to be hope. And from death will spring forth life. And this contrast is so important for us to understand because it doesn't get any better than this. You know, that was Friday, but today's Sunday. That was the day that he died, but today is the day that he rose. 
And there is an excitement and an enthusiasm and a hope and a joy that should be found for all of us who recognize and understand exactly what it is that we're here today to celebrate. So first, we're told that the women, if you want to follow along in the outline and you have a somewhat of an idea of, of uh, when I'll be done, but not really. Because uh, yeah, I don't really break it out exactly evenly, so you'll find that out. But, but anyway, we're told that you know, the women reacted with confusion and fear in verses 1 through 5. You know, these women who had got all of the preparations together and the spices to come and anoint Jesus' body, you know, we, we learned that they were afraid. And when they came, they found the stone had rolled away from the tomb, and then, but when they entered, the body wasn't there. And we're told in verse 4, they were perplexed about this. And then they were fearful as these men or these angels showed up, as we know from the other gospel accounts, to be able to explain to them what had happened. But there's no doubt that they had seen Jesus die. There's no doubt that they had been preparing to come and anoint his body properly. And we're told in Mark's account that as they were going to the tomb, the big question that they had in their mind was, you know what, how are we going to move the stone? You know, how are we going to get in to prepare the body of Jesus to anoint him with these perfumes and to wrap him with these cloths? Because there's a stone that had been rolled in front of the opening of the tomb. And not only was the stone rolled in front of the tomb, but there was a seal that was put on it by the Roman government because the Jews had come to him and said, listen, there's a rumor out there that maybe someone might steal his body. And so they sealed this particular tomb. And the Roman seal of authority meant that if anybody messed with this or tampered with this, they would be subject to the law of the Roman government, and we've already seen they really like to crucify people. And so as they were going to the tomb, they they were confused because they weren't sure what they were even going to do. I mean, they knew what they wanted to do, but they weren't even sure how they were going to go about it. So you can imagine when they got there and the stone was rolled away and they saw that the tomb was open, not only open, but when they looked in, it was empty. They didn't know what was going on. I mean, it would be like in our culture today to go to a cemetery where you know that a loved one's remains have been buried to take flowers. And when you get there, the grave is dug up, it's opened up, the coffin's open, and there's no one there. And, you know, and you're thinking, what happened? The last thing you're thinking is they, ra- they were raised from the dead. And so all these thoughts are swirling through their heads. They don't know what's going on. They don't understand what's happening. And there was some confusion and some fear. And as we look at this, we begin to recognize and understand that with this confusion and this sorrow and discouragement and loss of hope, you know, there was also a pointed, it's also pointed out to us that there was a reason for that. And I want you to notice, we find in the rebuke by the angels of these women in verses 5 through 7, that there was a reason for their confusion. It said, and as the women were terrified and they bowed their faces to the ground, These men, these two men that suddenly stood before them, and we know from the other gospel accounts that they were angels, and they stood before them in dazzling apparel. And I thought, wow, I wonder what that scene was like, because some of you have some very dazzling apparel on today. But it doesn't even become close, it doesn't even come close to the dazzling apparel of these angels. And so as they were there in these verses, these angels of God, these messengers of God, tell it like it is, because notice what they said. Why do you seek the living one among the dead? In other words, they're saying, why are you here? What are you doing? You know, they were quite clear. He, Jesus, is not here, but he has been risen. Notice this. 
He is not here in verse 6, but he has been risen. Literally, the phrase is, he has been raised, and thus the sermon title. He has been raised. They were quite clear on this. Why were they confused? Why didn't they understand what was going on? Why were they going to do that which wasn't necessary by bringing all these spices and these wrappings to wrap a body that wouldn't be there? And the answer is very simple. And the answer comes to us is that because they forgot the word of God. See, the angel said, remember what he told you. Remember what he said to you. See, they had forgotten what Jesus had said. They forgot his words in verse 7. He said, remember that he told you that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and the third day rise again. Turn with me back in Matthew's account to Matthew chapter 16. And we'll just take a walk through and be reminded about what Jesus told his disciples as to what his ultimate fate would be. Because he came to seek and to save that which is life, uh, lost to give his life a ransom for many. And we're told in Matthew 16 and verse 21, he said, And from that time, this was after uh, Peter had said, You are the Christ, you are God's Savior, the Son of the living God. And he said it was from that time on that Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Go to chapter 17, look at verses 22 and 23. And while they, speaking of Jesus and his disciples, were gathering together in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. He will be raised on the third day. And they were deeply grieved. Look at chapter 20, verses 17 through 19. And we find the same thing again. And Jesus was about to go to Jerusalem. He took the 12 disciples aside by themselves. And on the way, he said to them, Behold, which means consider this or pay attention. We're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And they will deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him. And on the third day... He will be raised up. Back to Luke's account. The point is this. Just as Jesus suffered according to his word, so Jesus would also be raised from the dead according to his word. And he told them over and over and over again, this is what's going to happen. I will suffer. I will die And I will be buried, and on the third day, I will be raised up. He told them so that they would not be confused. And yet here they were, in the midst of all of this, confused and frightened by what was going on. See, forgetting God's word, forgetting his promises and his plans will always lead to fear and confusion, discouragement, 
and a loss of hope. Throughout my 20-month ride on the cancer coaster, through all the radiation treatments and the surgeries and the numerous scans of all different sorts and the chemo, I've noticed the only times that I have been discouraged, confused, or fearful have been when I have forgotten the Word of God. How about you? Are you going through some struggles in your life? Are you depressed or discouraged? Are you desperate? Are you disillusioned? Are you losing hope? In this passage, we find the answer to our discouragement. In this passage, we find the answer to fear. In this passage, we find the answer to a loss of hope. And we're told that the women then remembered the words of Jesus in verse 8. See, and they remembered his words. That is such a short and to-the-point verse. And they remembered his words. And you know what happens when we remember his words? What has happened in my life is that when I remember his words and his promises, I no longer am discouraged. I am no longer desperate. I am no longer fearful. Because God has not given to you and I who have trusted in Christ his death and his resurrection, those who are children of God, to those who believe in his name, he has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but he has given us a spirit of, of love and power and a sound mind. We can remember the word of God and we no longer have anything to fear. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. Over and over and over again in the Word of God, we are told that when we are afraid, when we are depressed, when we are discouraged, when we are downcast, when we are troubled, we are to remember the Lord, to remember His Word, to remember His promises, to remember His power, that he can do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we could ever ask or think. To remember that he sustains the universe and holds it all together. To remember that while we were sleeping last night, God had the universe in order. And we awoke this morning because he has given us life and that it's because of his power that he sustains us. So we begin when we ask ourselves the question, you know what, if God is with me, whom shall I fear? And that really is the answer throughout the Word of God. If God is for you, who can be against you? And I remember all the promises of God. What's the worst thing that could happen to any human being? And the enemy says that we will die. But for those of us who have trusted in Christ, that is the very gateway into the presence of God. Absent from the body, we're present with the Lord. It is precious in the sight the death of his saints. It is God's reward for God's people. And so when we begin to fear or have desperation or discouragement or all these things, we get back to the word of God and go, wait, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't add up. 
It's not truthful. It's not accurate. And then we can go on with these great truths and realize that, you know what? The great truth here is that we are to remember God in His Word. It's important for us to recognize that Jesus never spoke of His impending death without also speaking of His resurrection. You cannot find any text where Jesus spoke of how he would suffer and he would die at the hands of evil men, how he would be crucified and buried, without him also saying, but three days later, I will raise again. You can't find it anywhere because the two are inseparable. Jesus' death is only understood in light of the entire Bible. Jesus' resurrection is only understood in light of the entire Bible. In fact, if you recall, those of us who have been going through the Gospel of Luke, if you recall, Jesus warned that those who rejected God's Word as the ultimate truth would reject the resurrection. Because in Luke 16, verse 31, he said this, If they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone raises from the dead. And what was he saying? If they don't believe what God has already said, even if somebody came back from the dead, people wouldn't believe what they have to say, which is understandable because with God, at least we can trust God because there's no darkness or evil in him. And with each other, there have been times where we haven't always been truthful with one another. We haven't always been accurate in our description of things. And so why would we trust each other if we don't trust God who cannot lie? So he said that even if somebody came back from the dead, they're not going to believe it because they don't believe God. The question that I have for you is this. What do you believe about the Bible? Is it the inspired, inerrant, written word of God? See, because if it's not in your life, then it is impossible for you to know God and his forgiveness that's found through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. Because we're told in the Word of God, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. Well, once the women remembered God's Word, they couldn't help but act. And I want you to notice what they did. Notice this, in verses 9 through 10, it says, and the, and the women returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven. This is the eleven less Judas, which was the original twelve, and to all the rest. Now, there were Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, also the other women with them also were telling these things to the apostles. And I want you to stop and think about it. They were no longer confused. They, they were no longer discouraged. They were no longer without hope. They couldn't wait to get back to the 11 and the rest of those who were there and tell them what they saw, heard, and more importantly, what they remembered from the Word of God. Can you imagine? I mean, they went back and they ran to him and they told him about the empty tomb and the stone that was rolled away and the angels. And they said, why are you looking for the, the living one among the dead? And, and he has been raised just as it was, it was told to you. And all of his words, and remember how I'd go to Jerusalem, but don't worry, I'll be killed, but I'll be raised up again. If you can imagine for a moment the scene, all of these women running back 
to tell these guys, all of them talking at the same time, it was chaotic. It was crazy. And on top of that, Mary Magdalene said, and on top of that, we know from the other gospel accounts that Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene. So she added in, hey, not only was the tomb empty, the stone rolled away. The angels were there proclaiming that he was alive. We looked inside, he was gone. Mary Magdalene came back and said, hey, and I talked to him. I saw him. He he appeared to me. And they were going, and it was like, whoa. And you know what happened was, the guys refused to believe them. What a shock. But you got to ask yourself, well, why did they refuse to believe him? Well, because notice this. We're told in verse 11 that their words appeared to them as nonsense. Now, to really gain a rich appreciation for the word nonsense... It is a word employed by Greek medical writers, of which Dr. Luke would be one, to describe, quote, the babbling of a fevered and insane mind. <laughs> These fellas all thought that the ladies flipped their wigs, they thought they were crazy. But I want you to notice that unfortunately, this bias led to their refusal to believe what they said. And herein lies a danger or warning for us today, and that is this. Do not allow your biases to keep you from examining the evidence of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what I mean by that in very simple terms is that years ago, I can recall having a conversation with a fellow who asked me if I believed the Bible was the written word of God. If I believed in sin, if I believed in God's judgment, if I had ever heard that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and that he rose again from the dead. And frankly, I didn't give his questions much thought because I thought the guy was nuts. I really did. Because he was one of those guys that wasn't my kind of guy. It's like we had nothing in common. I didn't really care to listen to anything that he had to say. And when he started to have that type of conversation with me, I just thought... I'm not interested because I had a bias towards him that prohibited me from listening to anything that he had to say. And I know as I say this that perhaps some of us are still guilty of the same. Perhaps you try to disqualify the message because you don't like the messenger. You know, you don't... you let your bias get in the way, and I would just warn you that that bias could cost you your very life and certainly your eternity. One of the doctors that we met through the myriad of 
things that we've gone through with this cancer. It was an oncologist that, frankly, I didn't like him. And, and, and Linda didn't like him. And if Linda didn't like him, then it was okay for me not to like him. <laughs> because she likes everybody. But this guy was just really hard to like. He was just short and arrogant and you try to ask him questions and he wouldn't answer them and you ask him things outside of what he wanted to tell you, you didn't want to talk about it. And so at one point I just said, well, then you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm really not interested in what, you, what you, know, you have to offer. And he just went, oh, shut his folder and said, well, good luck to you. And then he walked out. Now, and I thought, God bless you too. But... But what I learned from that was, you know, I wasn't going to let that one messenger keep us from going to whoever else God would have us to go to, to seek counsel. And the point that I'm trying to make is this. For those of you who are still trying to figure out what this is all about, don't allow your bias towards maybe one person to keep you from checking into the evidence of who Jesus is and what he accomplished on the cross and his resurrection. Don't let that one person at your office or in your family or in your neighborhood that kind of is just kind of a, a weird duck to say, say the least. That, you know, you would look at them and say, well, they're one of these Jesus freaky people and they're just weird. You know, they may be. Because, you know what, hey, I've, I've met some of them. I see some now. But, but it's like, you know, don't, don't, don't allow that to be your excuse to keep you from checking into the evidence that God wants you to examine. See, the last point sums it all up, and that's this. Peter responded by going to see for himself. Notice this in verse 12. But Peter arose, but in strong contrast to the rest of the guys who are all saying, these Ladies are nuts. He listened. You saw Jesus? The stone was rolled away? It was an empty tomb? There were angels proclaiming, remember what he said, that he would be crucified, he'd die, he'd be buried, he'd raise again? You remember all these things? And, you know, and Peter says that contrast is, but, but in contrast to the rest of them, he ran to the tomb. And we know from John's gospel account as well that John ran with him. And from John's gospel account, we also know that John beat him to the tomb. And that's, how you got, that's why you got to love the Bible. I mean, it's just like, here it is. You know what? And I beat him there. And uh, so, you know, and, and, and God records that for our amusement. And uh, so they ran to the empty tomb to check it out for themselves. And my question for you as we put all this together is, how about you? Have you checked all this out for yourself? What do you believe about the Bible? Is it the written word of God? Is it inerrant, without error? Or do you just pick and choose the things that you like throughout the rest? You know, why do you believe what you believe about the Bible? Who do you say that Jesus is? Why do you believe what you believe about Jesus? Some will say he's a good teacher, a prophet, good guy. Yeah, but did he ever give you that as an option? He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father but through me. 
He said, you got to believe upon me. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be lifted up, and all who come to me will find forgiveness and healing for their soul. Why do you believe what you believe about Jesus? Have you checked it out for yourself? Or have you just been lazy and just believed what somebody else told you because it's convenient and it doesn't mess up the rest of your life? How do you explain the existence of the Christian faith and the Christian church? Why did Jews who for centuries observed the Sabbath, which was meeting sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, start meeting on Sundays? What happened? Why did the the followers of Jesus who deserted him as he was arrested die martyrs' deaths proclaiming him as Lord? Explain to me what happened to Saul of Tarsus who was one of the greatest enemies of the Christian faith. He hated Jesus, and he hated everybody who followed him. Explain to me how he became the great apostle Paul, the greatest advocate for Jesus Christ and the Christian faith. What happened to him? In secular universities, they'll talk about Saul of Tarsus, and then all of a sudden, the next chapter talks about Paul, the great apostle, and they never give an explanation of, well, what happened to this guy? And the reason is very simple, because he saw Jesus alive after his crucifixion, because he has been raised from the dead. Explain what happened to Peter, who ran away as he was arrested, as Jesus was arrested, and even denied him before a little girl in the courtyard. Explain what happened to him that Peter would be later crucified and he'd be crucified upside down saying he wasn't worthy to be crucified the same way that Jesus was crucified. What happened to Peter? The Bible tells us that Peter saw Jesus alive. And now the question of all questions. Look around at the person next to you or who may have invited you. Or the person who gave you the CD to listen to? What has happened to them that their life has been transformed? That once they live to please themselves and live what the Bible says in a manner that was sinful. And now they have turned from sin. They have turned to God. They have trusted in Christ, his death on the cross, the power of his resurrection on their behalf. They become children of God to those who believe in his name. And now they live a life that is pleasing to God. How do you explain the transformation? And the answer is simply this. He has been raised. He is alive. He is a living Savior And he is alive today, and he says, Come unto me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The Bible says, Repent to turn from sin and believe upon him for the forgiveness of your sins. Peter, the coward and the denier, later would preach before a multitude of people, thousands of people. He would stand boldly and say this, men of Israel, listen to this. Listen up. Jesus of Nazareth Nazareth, was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. 
This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. From a coward and a denier to a bold proclaimer in the deity, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In closing, a grand truth emerges from the story as it does in none of the other gospel accounts. And that is that the disciples did not invent the resurrection story. At first, think about this. They neither understood it, nor did they believe it. None of the gospels tells us how Jesus was resurrected because none of the gospel authors saw it firsthand. You wonder how they, did, how they resisted coming up with some creative story. They resisted because they weren't myth makers, but they were simply witnesses of what they saw. Alexander McLaren says, the evidential value of the disciples' slowness to believe cannot be overrated. The only explanation for the apostles' devotion, even at the cost of their own death, is this. They saw him die. They saw an empty tomb. They met their risen Lord. And they came to believe the word of God that simply says this, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. One last question. What do you believe? And more importantly, why do you believe it? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the clarity of your word. We thank you that your word is truthful, reliable, that it is inerrant, and that it is trustworthy. Today is the day that we celebrate that he has been raised. Just as you said in your word, throughout the entirety of the Old Testament and the entirety of the New Testament, your word speaks clearly. God, it's my prayer that those who are here listening to these words, who have never came to trust or believe what you said, would do so even here and now. That they would turn from sin by praying a simple prayer, God, forgive me for I am a sinner. I believe what you say, that Jesus died for my sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, and that he was raised again on the third day, and is alive today according to your word. Forgive me. And I put my faith and trust and hope in him who was crucified and resurrected. I know that he is alive today and hears my prayers and that he offers all who believe everlasting and eternal life. God, I thank you for hearing and I thank you for transforming my life according to the power of your word, through your Holy Spirit. God, for all of us who have come to faith in Christ 
and have been born again by the will of God and not by our own human efforts. We have come today to praise you and to give you honor and glory for you are alive. You are our risen Savior. You have been raised from the dead. And because you have been raised from the dead, you have the power to give life and that you would give us life who believe in you, eternal life, abundant life. And we just thank you that because you are resurrected, that one day when we leave these bodies, that we also will be resurrected to a newness of life that we can never even begin to comprehend or understand, but your word promises. We thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. We thank you that he is alive today. In Jesus' name, amen.